Hi everyone, welcome to the I Don't Know Show with Joe. I'm Joe, and I don't know much about trans rights, but my guest David Reggae does. David, thank you for returning to the show. Hey, it's good to be back. Um, I'm I was uh, honored to be the inaugural guest, and I'm I'm honored to be the inaugural repeat guest. And I'm honored to be the both times interviewer. <laughs> Whatever that is. So. Straight off the bat, I'm going to say this is going to be one of those topics that, like, I don't know too much about what you want to talk about as far as this topic goes. So I think this might go in many different directions. I'm sure there's a lot that we're going to agree on and a lot that we're going to disagree on. And I'm going to make an assumption that there are going to be two main things we disagree on. And one of those is going to be the definition of the word right and the other will be what rights children have around this issue. I think those will be our main two areas of disagreement, probably be in agreement about many other things. That's my assumption. I have no idea if I'm correct or if that's what you want to talk about in this conversation. So I'll start by asking you, David, when you say the phrase trans rights, what is included in that umbrella? So when I refer to trans rights, I'm referring to human rights, really. Um, just the same way when we talk about any kind of minority rights, what we're concerned with is protecting the rights of minorities insofar as they should be congruent with the same rights that are enjoyed by the majority. And in the case of trans uh, people, uh, one of the main rights that we're concerned with is to be referred to as uh, belonging to the gender that you understand yourself to belong to, or in the case of somebody who's non-binary, just to be referred to by your preferred pronouns. You know, people who are cisgender, meaning that they um, identify with the uh, gender that was identified uh, at birth based on visible genitalia. You know, I was born with penis and testicles and therefore I was identified as male so I and I'm cisgender so I prefer to be referred to as he or as him when people are talking to and I would feel uh, a lot of hostility coming my way if somebody referred to me as the wrong gender in fact just mentioning it like a little bit of very old trauma but I, I recall some time when I was in camp one time uh a uh, really like weirdly abusive counselor referring to me as a lesbian. And I, refer I remember that that was actually really scarring. And I imagine that for somebody who's transgender, um, who doesn't identify with the gender that was assigned to them at birth, you know, it has to feel like a terribly hostile action. And uh, as an outsider looking in also, it appears to be a very hostile action when somebody refers to them by the wrong gender, when somebody misgenders them. So That's certainly I, I would say that is, um, you know, in a lot of cases would be mean, right? There's a lot of ways you could be mean to somebody and calling them something that they, they don't want to be called um, is, is definitely mean. But when you say right, what do you mean when you say they have the right to um to be called what they want like what do you mean by that phrase 
I mean that I think that's a basic dignity that they are entitled to. Okay. I think that, you know, so we it's live... not a natural right or a We're... legal right. It is a entitlement of um like a, like an expectation of civility or something like that. Yeah, and I think that that could be, I mean, uh, the philosophy of natural rights versus, you know, uh, what the basis of rights is. Is it natural, God-given? Is it uh, based on whatever particular ethic you subscribe to, if you're Kantian or, you know, whatever, if you're the more utilitarian variety? Like, we could have another podcast about that, <laughs> but... Um, uh, when I talk about rights, I, I really am speaking in um, my own understanding of what's ethical and uh, the way that people ought to treat each other, uh, the kind of treatment that you are entitled to. I think that people, everybody is entitled to dignity, human dignity. And uh, I think that it's a kind of crime when that dignity is... Uh, <clears throat> is uh, harassed or, or taken away. And, and so why do you feel like this um, particular um, abasement of, of dignity or, um, you know, la lack of, uh, um, you know, kindness towards others? Like, why is this one unique amongst any way that people can be hostile towards each other or... Uh, or call people names or be mean to people or like like what makes this particularly unique well <clears throat> I'm, I'm not really so interested in, in singling it out as a unique right i just see it as a right that is particularly under threat in uh, the current you know social environment um there's a lot more acceptance of trans folk today, uh, particularly among people who are aligned on the ideological left side of the spectrum. But there's also a lot more hostility um, that I think comes along with the level of uh, heightened visibility in society at large. And there's been quite a lot of backlash. And unfortunately, a lot of that's also taken place even on the legal level. Uh, a lot of a lot of um, lawmakers are very hostile to trans folks and have imposed um, uh, many pieces of legislation that are anti-trans that restrict the access that trans folk happen, uh, sorry, that trans folk have to healthcare, which I was going on uh, to say is the second, you know, human right that trans folks are entitled to just as anybody else is. Can you give an example of that? Are we talking about children here? Are we on that topic yet? Or are we talking about adults that are being denied health care? Uh, I think it's definitely fair to talk about children because of how much they're singled out. Um, I definitely want to get there and, and we can get into that. But I just wanted to know in what you were just saying, is that what you're referring to? Or are there other cases of just like adults who... I, I, we could both agree should be able to do whatever the hell they want um, being denied health care. Yeah, I mean, I think that it depends where <clears throat> an adult finds themselves. Um, but there 
are lawmakers uh, even today who um, who are t- are attempting to take away options for gender affirming care, including even from adults. So uh, that is something that's being pushed for, although the focus is mainly framed in terms of ch- children and protecting children and, uh, you know, this kind of canard, uh, this this disgusting libel about grooming of children uh, that's used to smear all trans people as being kind of deviants in society that are, you know, like a new criminal element. Um, <clears throat> but uh, most of the attacks uh, that I have seen are geared towards trying to prevent children who are trans from receiving uh, gender affirming care. So I think when it comes to children, that is a uh, it's a different part of, of this conversation. Um, and I mean, I think that when we talk about children, um, there's a certain that um, responsibility that the government has to protect children that even amongst libertarians would agree that children are not able to consent to certain things. So this is within a broader category of children's rights. And, and I'll be talking about this on the podcast in, in uh, a few weeks, I believe someone wanted to talk about children's rights. But we have many laws about protection of children. Um, and, you know, I think most of them are pretty appropriate. I don't necessarily agree that age is always the best marker of maturity and, and different things would be uh, different ages for different things. But, um, you know, we do have laws and conceptually, I think it makes sense to say that children do not have the full mental faculty to consent to certain things the same way an adult would. Examples include voting, sex, alcohol, cigarettes, seeing certain movies, getting a gun, driving a car, getting a tattoo, and getting certain elective surgeries. So now if we're going to talk about what is or, or isn't being denied to children who are identifying as trans, um, and, and I'm not even saying that's correct or incorrect, but I, I think there's a lot there to be discussed, and I don't think people are approaching it from a place of bigotry. I think these are real concerns. Well, I disagree. <laughs> I think that okay. it, it is absolutely being approached from a place of bigotry and fear and hate. Uh, and also a lot of it, uh, most of it is even on its face, extremely disingenuous. I mean, the most common kind of accusation that you tend to hear uh, figures on the right talking about is that they are, you know, trying to mutilate children, which is just an absolute lie. There's no such thing as, you know, uh, children that are receiving uh, surgery that's geared towards being gender affirming care. That's something that in every single case, I mean, we're talking about bottom surgery specifically, that is never done for minors. Never. And minors is anyone under 18. And there are, there are some rare, there are some very rare exceptions where top surgery is done for minors, but these are minors that we're talking about are like 17 years old. 
and have been living their lives as trans for many years. And it's under the guidance of, you know, accredited health professionals. It's not something that's ever done in a kind of flippant way, the way that it's uh, painted as by some media figures. And um, another point that I want to add to that is that there was, um, I'm actually forgetting, I, I think that this was done in Texas like a year ago. Uh, there was a law that was specifically talking about, um, you know, banning that kind of uh, gender uh, affirming care for children when at the same time, first what, what of all, are you including in, in gender are, affirming are, care? Can you define that? Just because you've sorry. mentioned it a few times. Can you define that, what you're including in that term, gender affirming care? Yeah, before I get into that, let me just... Uh, finish the thought, sure. which is that, um, <clears throat> you know, it's portrayed as if the, we're talking about, you know, saving children from going under the knife and having the genitalia that they were born with uh, surgically taken away from them. That's not something that's happening. And in fact, there was a special exemption that was made in that law for the case of intersex infants. And on the, if we're talking about protecting children, uh, there are a lot of studies that have shown that intersex children often suffer for having had their gender chosen for them at birth, when they, and that choice is taken away from them. So if anything, these are the children that we need to be protecting from uh, you know, mutilation, which is something that's actually happening. Because I'd be in favor. when when we're talking about something that's transgressing gender norms, that's when you have these figures making a big hullabaloo about it. When we're having surgeries that are geared towards enforcing gender norms, they have no problem with it whatsoever. So it's completely ideologically driven and it's completely disingenuous and it's completely bigoted. But do you feel that, um, and I agree from the example you provided that that does sound hypocritical but do you think that that is equivalent to um ideological driven or uh, or bigoted because um it could be that you know one thing is what they're used to like like i guess what i'm asking is like why make the assumption of bigotry just i agree with you about the the um the kind of um, uh, mismatch there like if that's the case that does sound um, a bit hypocritic but why, why does that imply bigotry do you think well to clarify I'm not saying that it's uh, bigoted specifically to allow parents to choose the gender of their intersex child at birth although I think that it's a harmful um I, I do think that that's a, a harmful action to take on a child that's born intersex. But what I'm singling out as bigoted is to be leveling all of these attacks against trans people. I mean, you have also the don't say gay law in Florida, which of course also impacts trans folk, whether they're teachers or whether they're students. And, and more broadly speaking for LGBTQ plus people at large, um, and I think that 
you know, the kinds of media figures that I'm thinking of, the, the hatred is pretty uh, obvious on its face. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody could reasonably uh, watch much of the videos that are put, being put out by, like, uh, the Daily Wire or Alex Jones or any of these places and, like, you know, or whatever, you know, Tucker Carlson has aired on this kind of topic. Like, it's very obvious that there is pretty unconcealed hatred. So... I haven't seen. I don't them, think so I need I to make a case judge. for that. Well, I, I I don't know what what you're referring to, so I'm not sure. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of videos on the other side of of um, people who seem very ideologically driven on the other side. Not necessarily hatred. I wouldn't use that word, but I don't I don't know. I don't watch Tucker Carlson. I I haven't seen. Um, what what you're uh, referring to but it's possible i just don't i just don't know that <laughs> it's uh, there's it's so prevalent that I, I don't have a single clip in mind but there's been quite a lot of it over the past few years <clears throat> but again it, and like do you think that it comes from a place of hate or does it come from a place of reaction because the um to to my perception uh the the people on the trans side have been pushing this issue very forcefully i would say um i don't know if that's the right word but i don't know if everybody that is reacting to that is doing so out of like hatred for people versus reaction to an idea that they disagree with. Do you see a difference there or do you think those are the same? I don't think that those are the same. I also don't think that they're mutually exclusive categories, sure. but I, I will say that, you know, I think it's possible for people to be uncomfortable with trans people or, uh, with LGBT people more broadly, or even with people of different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds, like that kind of discomfort is something that is very common among humans when faced with difference. So to be clear, I don't think that there is something inherently immoral about having a naturally, you know, startled response to something that you're not used to, or that's unfamiliar to you. Um, but to then go and crusade against it, that is hateful. I, I, you know, it's, uh, there are different responses that you can have to being surprised in a way that might be uncomfortable. And one response is to get curious and try to understand and to try to get educated about that. And another response is like I said, to crusade against it. And uh, there's there's quite a bit of that going on right now. I mean, I'm optimistic about the future. There's also a lot of people who are in the fight. And uh, I think, you know, it is on a basic level important to be allies to trans folk just because they're human and they deserve dignity. 
And another reason on top of that is that they're a very small minority. It's very easy for them to be overwhelmed by a majority that is aligned against them. And so they really need allyship. Um, well, what, what about and, a third option? And, and, and that's important for, for all minorities. You know, one point that um, a trans man who I'm very close to, but I won't identify beyond that to protect their identity, uh, tried to drive home with me is that, you know, um, there is that very famous quote. Uh, I'm actually forgetting uh, the attribution exactly, but, you know, it's very commonly brought down, like, you know, first they came for the communists and I did nothing because I'm not a communist. I think it was a Holocaust poem. They came for me. Sorry. I think it was a poem written in regards to the Holocaust, I think by a survivor. I'm pretty sure. I, I remember seeing it at the Holocaust Museum. Like that's like the association yeah. it has in my head. But Yeah, I had it up in my tabs while uh, while doing my notes for this. <laughs> but but Rega, isn't there a third option? You you painted two options. One where you you're curious and you seek understanding and you seek to be an ally. Second option where you're hateful and you crusade against it. Isn't there a third option where you you think it, it is a delusion, but you fully want people to have the right to do whatever they want and to be treated with dignity. And so you're neither an ally nor crusading against it. You are just trying to be honest with how you feel about the issue and and talk about it without any hate without any uh trying to tell people what to do um isn't that a third option yeah i mean i obviously i strongly and categorically disagree with it being categorized as a delusion nobody's under any kind of delusion. Uh, people don't think that they were born with uh, biological features that they weren't born with. Uh, they're very acutely aware of the facts of the matter. Um, well, I'll, I'll get back also, to that in a second. But they also know okay. the way that they want to live. And I would say that the most important thing, I mean, uh, for, set, for uh, setting aside, you know, the, my quibble with that, the most important thing is if you are fighting for their rights to live with dignity or you are vocally supportive, you vote for um, resolutions or politicians who are pro-trans rights, then I can't speak for trans people, but to my mind, that does make you an ally. If, if materially everything that you're doing is in favor of promoting their protection and their rights, then you're an ally. Okay, but I think I would still have certain issues on the edge around children and um, maybe certain other things we, we get into. But, um, but as far as human rights go, um, they should be extended to all people. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm not trying to speak for me. I'm trying to speak for a devil's advocate argument. <laughs> sure. Um, Okay. So, so first of all, I wanted to just touch on the delusion piece. Um, I'm not saying they they 
are uh, they think they have different body parts, right? That's a different type of delusion, but they feel like they were born in the wrong body. Is that not a common thing that is said? Like they are a man who feels like a woman or a woman who feels like a man. Um, to be honest, I don't know what that means, but I don't think I need to know what it means. If somebody says that, they're allowed to say it. I'm not going to I'm not going to tell them they're not allowed to say it. And just because I don't understand something also doesn't mean that it's not real. But I but if I don't understand it, am I expected to pretend to understand it? No, I don't think that anybody's expected to understand anything that they don't understand. It's possible to accept things that you don't understand. Sure. And and that's really what's important. So again, to my mind, I mean, uh, I don't want to get into the weeds on it, the exact, you know, particulars of the trans experience because I'm not trans and I haven't, you know, I don't experience that myself. So I can't speak. Uh, I, I don't want to try to speak for trans people about their inner thoughts and feelings. Uh, and I, I also know that that's not even something that's universal among trans folks. If you talk to different trans people, they will have, you know, often similar, but also often different experiences of whatever way their psyche, their, you know, kind of feeling about some essential part of them doesn't comport with the gender that was assigned to them at birth. So I don't want to characterize that as like, you know, born in the wrong body necessarily, uh, because that's not the way that many people would talk about it. So maybe some people would. But um, again, I, I think that the key is just their acceptance. Right. So I think that so when it comes to like, let's say being an ally, right? Um, I think the problem is that that word trans rights is so broad that like I, I don't really know what I'm agreeing to. And it feels like uh, if you are a an ally or a supporter of trans rights, that you are um, kind of supportive of a... Uh, I I I don't want to say delusional worldview or or but like that's just the thing that comes to my head. I don't know if there's a better way to say it. But so so for example, like if if trans rights just meant human rights, it'd be very easy to be on board because there's no right, let's say natural right or legal right that any american has that shouldn't be extended to trans americans we're talking about americans i don't really know what happens in other countries so that's like an easy thing to say but this goes beyond that a little bit because there is the issue of children which um it does seem like the trans rights advocacy agenda wants more availability to children whether or not certain things are happening. I don't know what people want to happen or not. You could tell me if that's what people want or not. I really don't know. But definitely people want, um, you know, certain 
either therapeutical, just agreeing to people's um, transgenderism. So that would be the most basic level, I guess. And then the more advanced level would be puberty blockers. And the most advanced level would be um, surgery. And, and you said that's not really happening. And I'm not contesting that. But. Well, before that, there's also, you know, hormone therapy that's going beyond puberty blockers, but hormone therapy okay. that's geared towards actually promoting, you know. Um, Does that take place at the same time or? Uh, they can. Sometimes they do. Uh, but uh, typically there's a period of time. You know, there's guidelines about these things, and I'm by no means an expert on it. But, but do you see why people would have an issue with that? Puberty blockers would not... start around right around the onset of puberty, but right? Do you see why people would have an issue with that, but not be coming from a place of bigotry, just coming from a place of child protection, even if you disagree with that? And I know that you do. Um, but do you see that the other side is all coming at that from? that hateful place i i well i'll get personal about this i don't think that it's necessary uh i don't think that it's necessarily coming from a place of bigotry but i do think that it, it uh necessarily is a kind of lack of understanding and uh a, a lack of having really engaged with trans people on the matter and and with the material that's available to learn more about what it means for trans people to to receive to, to receive care. Um, there was a time some years ago. I don't remember exactly how long, but probably going back to like you know, maybe even like eight years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. And uh, I got into it a little bit on Twitter about this exact issue because at the time I already thought of myself as, you know, pretty progressive on the, the trans issue. By the way, the trans issue is the, uh, the transgender issue, Trans Justice is Justice for All, is a, a wonderful book by Sean Fay, um, who's a trans woman and a reporter based in the UK. And I, did some reading trying to prepare for this, but just since I mentioned uh, the phrase, that's basically we'll put, we'll put that in the, the show book. notes. Just a little little plug for the book. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yeah, so I, I thought of myself already as being like very progressive on this, and um, I got into the middle of some discussion about puberty blockers and hormone replacement, and I said like, you know, I'm in for, I'm in favor of of trans care, but I I don't think it's like, you know. Uh, I, I could understand like a, a parent not wanting to do that for their kids and wanting them to wait until they're 18 uh, to make that decision as an adult and everything. And so I can definitely understand that mentality because I've had it myself. Um, but I really think that I just know more now about what that actually means for the person who's not receiving that care. And it's pretty majorly traumatic for them to have to go through puberty uh, in the gender that they do not identify with, right? Like, uh, that would be a pretty horrific experience to go through if I was living my life as a cis boy, you know? And then when I reach puberty, all of a sudden, I start developing a bunch of female-presenting characteristics. 
I mean, I would be really horrified. Um, and I really wouldn't want any child to have to go through that. Now, on the, the, the issue about puberty blockers is I've, I've heard a lot of pushback recently on, on the, um, the notion that they're completely reversible. That's still the official stance of many medical professionals. Uh, it's pretty much a consensus opinion of people who provide this care. There's also been, um, you know, some issues raised around its safety on the on the premise that, you know, oh, bone density is impacted by puberty blockers and therefore this is very dangerous. We shouldn't be doing this for uh, children. You know what that means, that bone density is impacted by this? It means that you'll be more susceptible to, like, you know, stress fractures when you're in your 50s instead of in your 60s. That's not a serious, you know, concern to be making it like it's the biggest deal in the world. The rate of detransitioning is like 2% or less. We're talking about like we know that in the vast majority of cases, these are people who will be better off for the care that they receive. And I just find all of the arguments against that to be utterly unconvincing Usually they're grounded in in some amount of ignorance, um, but in many cases, I mean, usually when when it's coming from people in the media specifically, they do know better, and they're lying to make a buck or they're hateful bigots. It's funny because that's how I feel on the other side of this issue in terms of uh, people bending over backwards to try to support a a position that they don't logically think makes sense like i'll i'll grant you that maybe um maybe this is the best care for them i'm not going to say um that that's incorrect i have no idea but i am highly skeptical of that completely reversible line that to me is just nonsense um, there's well, no such thing. There's zero things. For... There are zero things that are completely reversible. So I don't know what that phrase means because it cannot mean completely it reversible. It's an impossible phrase. It means that you were able to go through puberty after you go off of puberty blockers. Right, That's which is different means. than completely reversible. That's a puberty taking place at a later period of time, which may or may not yeah, be the you same. Can't, you, can't, you can't turn back the clock and exactly. have a different, you know, a different <laughs> year. Than you have, a, but nobody's claiming that. When well, they, talk well, about when it people being, are thinking that, it, <laughs> it's I mean, a euphemism that makes people think that. No, I don't think any. I don't think any thinking person uh, would come to that conclusion. <laughs> Nobody thinks like, oh, that means that you can go back and be a thirteen-year-old again. Nobody. Not that you could be a thirteen-year-old again, but that you can be the equivalent twenty-seven-year-old that you would have been if you had been undergoing puberty at the appropriate time. Uh, it's impossible. I I really think it's irrelevant. It, it might be irrelevant. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that does that I mean, doesn't to, to mean extent, that that isn't the best way to go. But I'm just saying that that is impossible. I think that the extent to which, you know, uh, the way that a person, I mean, if, especially if we're talking about like you're, you have been on puberty blockers, but not hormone replacement therapy until you're 27, that's pretty absurd. That's highly abnormal. You know, people are either transitioning or they're not. 
you don't just go on puberty blockers and stay on them indefinitely and then one day decide, oh, I want to go through puberty now. That's not a thing. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how people use it and when, if ever, they decide to stop using it and, and what the effects are. I don't... I would, I, would, I would say that even if somebody does transition fully, it is possible to detransition. And that may be very difficult for those people. And, uh, you know, people who go through that have just like, uh, <clears throat> just like all people have different experiences and it's subjective. And some people detransition, de they feel very bad about it. They feel, you know, like they were lied to or they were taken advantage of or whatever. Most people, that I, from what I'm aware of, who detransition actually are still very supportive of trans rights and are glad that they were able to receive that care. And they were also able to detransition when, when things changed for them. And are those people who, so, who are happy with the decision, were they, but, did they transition as an adult or as a child? I'm just curious. But uh, Well, again, I will say that, uh, just a reminder, you know, the rate of detransitioning is, uh, and you can look this up, but it's like 2%, maybe less, uh, maybe, maybe like not even quite 2%. And then we're also taking into consideration the, the rate of people themselves are, are yeah. already only like 2% <laughs> of the <laughs> entire population. So 2% of 2% ever maybe, uh, detransition, like that's okay. There is a risk, you know, people always make decisions in life. There's always risks. With, there's a risk to take Tylenol. Um, but again, <clears throat> we're talking about people who transitioned as a child versus as an adult. What that means, transitioning as a child does not mean getting surgery. Transitioning as a child means, you know, wearing the clothes that you want to wear, being referred to by the name that you want to be referred to by, being referred to with the pronouns that you want, if you're approaching puberty, often that means getting onto puberty blockers at some point in puberty if before adulthood. That may be that may mean also starting to take hormone replacement therapy. Surgery happens to adults. Okay, but, but so let's say the puberty blockers and the hormone therapy. Okay, what? Why? And I'm and I'm not saying that that isn't the right way. Maybe it helps people, and maybe that is. Um, Maybe that's the best way to go. But why do we trust children to make that decision, whereas we don't trust them to make other decisions? What makes this unique that they're able to consent to? We don't allow them to consent to anything else. I mean, I don't know. I think there are plenty of things that we allow children to consent to. There are a lot of things that we don't allow children to consent to. But, you know, do you want to play Monopoly tonight? Yes, they're consenting. <laughs> you know, you know like, what I mean. Like there's plenty of things that we can't... allow children to consent to. We don't. You know, there's p plenty of things that we restrict children from doing. It's not that we're allowing children to consent to doing something. We're allowing them to do what they want to do. Well, a, a child. Let's say there's a, a, a there's a 13 year old who wants to have sex with an 18 year old. She wants to, but we don't. We don't grant her that concept of being able to consent to it because we don't feel she's mentally mature enough to Yeah, well there's to decades that. of there's decades of medical research that say that that's something that is 
pretty much across the board a traumatic experience, even if at the time they think that they are consenting to it. Okay. And that's, that's the judgment of the entire, you know, psychiatric community, the entire community of health professionals and the judgment of virtually the entire community of health professionals when it comes to transitioning is that it's something that's beneficial for people who are, we don't have those decades of research and that it's, we do have decades of, of research on this. In fact, the first, um, the, uh, the first center for, uh, trans people ever that I am aware of is one that was in Germany, and I have a note about it somewhere here, and uh, and variably, very notably, it was uh, shut down by the Nazis. So there is actually many decades of you know trans people didn't just pop up in the past couple of decades. They've been around for but a very long time. They they've grown exponentially in the past few years. Do you have any? I don't know. If ex- on... I don't know if exponential growth is uh, uh, accurate at all. At all, I think that if you actually look at a, if you look at the data, uh, what I have seen, um, and and again, I'm not an expert, and I don't think that timing-wise it makes sense for us to get into this right now, but we can put it into the show notes. You know, if you if you look at the number of people who are left-handed, and then you look at how left-handedness grew, I'm pretty sure that tracks perfectly with just like you know rates of transness pre versus post broader acceptance in society interesting it's you so funny that, i was just talking about this the other day with the left-handed thing i didn't even look at the study but i i my question was whether we would approach 50 50 now that right-handedness is not forced anymore in school is that what the data supports because that that's pretty cool that's no a, no it's far oh, far really? less it's just it's just less common it's just less common for be people to be gay as well you know but there was there was also like, you know, a noted rise in observed you know uh, populations of uh, percentages of gay people in society once it started to be a more accepted thing. We're nowhere near fifty fifty. I think it's around like five percent of the population. But well, yeah, I wasn't talking about gay necessarily. Recently, if you if you uh, take a poll of of uh, the public. You know, people vastly overestimate the number of, of trans people at large in America. They say they say things like, you know, a quarter of people or something crazy, like one in five, which is totally out of whack. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, people again, people will say the same the thing about the number of around Jews, like you know, two percent, right? like but pe- or, pe- or even one percent of the population. People will misattribute or they'll they'll misestimate the number of Jews that there are as well, and that's just yes, because that's of how how much Jews are represented in the media. And it's the same thing for trans; their representation in the media is humongous right now. I think it's the same reason. Yeah, there's a lot more visibility. Um, you know, I, I think that's a phenomenon that's kind of cutting both ways. There's a, a lot that goes into that. Um, some of that certainly is, um, you know, corporate kind of uh, pink washing, uh, which is this notion of uh, corporations trying to kind of co-opt, uh, more broadly speaking, like, this was done also with civil rights, uh, the agendas and um, 
more broadly LGBT movement in, in general, but um, so a lot of visibility has come about because of that kind of effort to be seen as allies and progressive for for the sake of like raising the status of a brand or whatever. Um, you know, that's a double-edged sword. I see some positive in that and some negative in that. But then uh, you also have the backlash. I think the biggest reason that trans folk are so in the spotlight in the past few years is is really due to all of the backlash against them coming out of the right. Um, and legislatively, there's quite a bit. I think I saw an estimate of like 300 plus anti-trans bills that were proposed in the state legislatures. I think I think that might have been last year. Yeah. So it's really quite a bit. Well, if, if there are any anti-trans bills that have nothing to do with children, um, I, I'd be very opposed to those. Um, like I, I can't, I can't think of how you're, you're saying they were brought up or they were passed. Uh, there are definitely ones that were passed with regards specifically to children in, in a bunch of states. I think uh, right. I but I'm saying just the figures that. directly in front of me, but like, you know, I think upwards of 15 states already have passed anti-trans legislation that in some way, you know, may have to do with children and may have to do with, you know, um, I, I'm not sure of the specifics of all the different bills, but it's another thing that we can put in the notes. There's good resources for this stuff. So Yeah, I'm interested to know because, like I said, I think like with the children, it, it's it's complicated. Um, but with adults, it That's really shouldn't extreme. be. It shouldn't we be complicated. Fact, we talked about the fact that, you know, uh, transgender affirming care can be as simple as just allowing the child to dress the way that they want to, to show up in school presenting as their gender that they have chosen for themselves you know uh, i still think it's complicated i think i think a simple thing for themselves also is a complicated way of phrasing it but yeah you know my you understand my meaning um that by itself is gender affirming care and there is legislation uh, and I, I think this applies to the legislation i referenced before in texas banning gender affirming care blanket it, they they say gender affirming care is child abuse, okay, and it's banned in the state, and there are you know punitive measures that are taken for that. They're encouraging people to report on it. There are, and and labeling it as child abuse in particular compels many adults in many different positions to be responsible for reporting any transgender kid that they suspect is receiving any form of trans uh of gender affirming care be it as simple as just you know being referred to by their preferred name and their preferred pronouns etc so we're talking about very extreme stuff we're not talking about you know this is just a bunch of uh you know people are getting all lathered up about something that's not really a big deal these are extreme I, I, you know extremely clamping down on on liberties basic basic liberties i think there are three extreme things with the case you just referenced one is is having uh people report on each other 
Two is um, uh, having kind of vague language that's not uh, specifically defined, so it can kind of be broadly applied how, however the government wants to, so that I have that's also quite extreme. And the third thing I think that is extreme is singling out this particular thing as child abuse, because I'm sure there's a lot of other things. The fact that they're considering this child abuse, I don't think is that extreme. Um, but I don't, I think that they're probably, um, singling it out and that makes it extreme to me. Um, well, it is extreme to, to label it as such under law because that by itself requires that by itself requires many people in positions of just like, you know, if you're a teacher, guidance counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist, many adults in certain positions are by law required to report any kind of child abuse if they suspect it. Yeah. Many cases like that. So it is extreme. And I I mean, I, you know, obviously completely, completely disagree with the notion. And uh, I'm not saying it is, by the way, I think categorizing it as such, even even outside of legal terms is quite offensive and uh yes well but offensive these are the same people by the way who are always campaigning for parental rights when that's the thing that's that's exactly what i was going to say that's exactly what i was going to say because at some point you have to let the parents parent and there are lots of things parents do that i might consider abusive or someone else might consider abusive but can't give the government that power to decide what isn't isn't abusive unless they've crossed a clear line like you know chaining somebody in a cage in the basement or something that like everybody would agree is abusive you know so if they haven't crossed that clear line i don't think the government should have the stick to say what what is or isn't abusive um and and i think that the jury's out i think people have different opinions about it and they should raise their children in accordance with whatever opinions they have um, because I don't know what a better way to do it is, and I don't want the government raising our children. So I would definitely leave it up to the parents who, in most cases, want the best for their children more than the government does anyway. So Yeah, if any parents are listening to this, I just would like them to know that the best indicator of the best predictor of whether or not a trans child will survive into adulthood and beyond is acceptance from their parents. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And I'm, I'm happy you said that. I would say for anything, really, that a child is going through, knowing that their parents love them and are still there for them is just very important. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to also just highlight another um, point, which I think is uh, pretty ironic, which is the kind of smear all the time against transgender people really is uh they call it transgender oh not just transgender just gender ideology but i think it's a supreme irony because the gender ideology is totally coming from that side of the aisle this is a very you know strict ideology of saying there are only two genders you know that's ideology that it's it's totally the opposite to say I don't know. You could pick whatever gender you want and I'll be cool with it. Yeah. Um, again, I mentioned last time around, I don't think that ideology by itself is always a bad thing, et cetera, but 
So I think interesting anyway. It is it is interesting. To me, it's very similar to how I feel about racism and anti-racism. I'm kind of like, I think they're both ideologies and I think the same about both sides of this issue. I, I think that if it is a construct, it should be ignored. I don't think it should be encouraged on either side. Um, I don't like encouraging constructs either way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're a de- de-structuralist. Well, not not destructuralist. Um, I th- I think you can, yeah. I, I I think you just be able to do whatever you want. If if you are comfortable, um, you know, wearing a dress, wearing pants, doing whatever you want, like I'm totally on board with it. But identifying as a different gender just it doesn't make sense to me because the the concept itself of a gender, if it's not if it's not an inherent thing, then to me, it's just meaningless. And I don't know what it means to feel like a gender. And just, and again, just cause I don't know what it means. Doesn't mean that people don't feel that way. I'm not denying people's experiences. Um, but, um, I don't know, I guess that's where I come from. And I, I wonder, and it might be a little too late to open this can of worms, but why do you think, Transgenderism is accepted, but transracialism is not accepted. Uh, I mean, I think that they're very different things, you know. Um, Gender is something that varies from different eras of the world, uh, different particular societies. So notions of gender and the the enforcement of gender and gender roles is its own kind of social evolution. Race, on the other hand, is also construct and uh, in a very different way um, also uh, a social phenomenon that has its own long evolution. Um, and in particular, I think that race has, yeah, I wasn't prepared for that question. It's just something I've always wondered. (laughs) I mean, first of all, I will say that, uh, Hopefully it's not too offensive, but I don't think that it's a terrible thing for somebody to want to really adopt a particular culture and embed themselves within that culture and be just like, you know, an honest. Um, but I think culture uh, is separate from race. Kind of like a- attempting to kind of like convert to, well, I, I don't think it's totally separate. That's the thing. Like, that's a very blurred line. Yeah. I think it's really, like, uh, a pretty big topic to get into. But I also don't know the extent to which that's a phenomenon. I do know, like, one notable case of that. Very famous, Rachel Dolezal. Who got completely uh, shit lot, on. A lot know. of controversy around that. but I, I And I don't know that much about that case either. But uh, I... You know, I I don't think it's a terrible thing. I mean, it, it would be if there was, you know, it would be really awful if that took the form of 
doing it in like a really racist way yeah like if your if your way of like oh i identify as a particular race and then you just do your best to to like embody all of the kind of stereotypes like if you lived your life as ali g unironically basically yeah (laughs) um so i think that that would be a problem but you know just just really like fully living in the community and completely just like culturally acclimating to that i i think that that's actually totally fine different people are entitled to think differently about that but um but i mean i i guess then my answer would be that the the main reason that there's more visibility and acceptance of transgenderism is because it's a real phenomenon you know it affects uh i don't like to use the word effects it's um you know as repeated a few times only about two percent of all people are transgender uh but they exist that's a notable enough fraction that whether you're aware of it or not you have probably interacted with a trans person at some point in your life or know somebody who knows somebody who's trans. Um, Honestly, two percent is way higher. And so than that I kind of acceptance guessed. of of it is is a little bit, uh, hopefully, inevitable at that point. You know, there will be enough people who are accepting of it if enough people encounter it. You know, and then there are people who are not. Yeah, unfortunately, two percent is way I, higher I than I would have guessed. I hope that we're building towards a future of of greater inclusivity, more broadly speaking, for all. You know, for all different groups and different persuasions i hope so too what what got you so interested in this particular issue what was your exposure like what made this a passionate issue for you um i don't really know i i think that i actually it's something that I started to become aware of trans people as real people after just having seen people who um, were trans, um, you know, and I guess I just got curious about that. And I, I think that I probably went through, like I said, there's a natural human reaction of not being comfortable with something that's so so unfamiliar like that at first, but just getting curious and wanting to understand it a little bit better and then also in, encountering and uh, following a lot of trans people on Twitter who oftentimes are also very brilliant people um, <clears throat> and learning a little bit more that way through being exposed to, you know, just their kind of musings on life and their experience and just getting more attuned to, to their humanity. And I mean, more recently just really feeling like this has taken on a real urgency because from my standpoint, and I think it's incontrovertible, there's a major, major backlash taking place. There's a major moral panic you know, trans people are really under threat and they for a long time have been 
a, minor, a minority that suffers a lot of exclusion, bullying, higher instances of sexual abuse, higher instances of violence than the general public oftentimes. Also, and of course, also for, you know, intersectionality comes into play when somebody's trans and also a member of a particular minority or other, or what have you. Trans misogyny is also its own form of intersection because trans women have to deal with the stigma of being trans as well as the stigma of being a woman, frankly. And, um, so there's, you know, on top of all of that, there has been in the past 10 years now, this awful canard of, of, you know, trans folk are trying to trans your kids. They're, they're coming for your kids. They're predators, they're pedophiles. This is all, um, really like, you know, alarm bells should be going off for everybody because not everybody who is concerned about children is um, hateful and and bigoted, but they are listening to people who are. And there are people who uh, I think have very, very clearly indicated that they want to eliminate trans people. And that may not mean in the form of uh, executions, but it may mean it just in the form of fully restricting trans care. I mean, in some places, that's the case. I think in Indonesia, it's completely illegal to be a trans person. Um, uh, I, I may be misremembering, so hopefully anybody, you know, <laughs> anyone who hears that, maybe check it out. There's other Maybe places like, uh, I think, but, uh, 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 is it Saudi Arabia or something where they have a high, very high percentage of trans people because it's illegal to be gay. <laughs> and so they're able to, to become trans and then uh, and do it that way. Okay. Yeah, all these things suck. Um, maximum freedom is what I say. Um, David, we are I getting like towards it. the end of our time here. I want to thank you again for joining me. Before you leave, what is one thing, if you had to choose one thing, that you want me and all of our listeners to know about trans rights? Trans rights are human rights. That's it. Now I know.